Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, everybody? Welcome in the Thanksgiving week episode of Hardwood Handicappers. Very happy Thanksgiving to everybody who is listening and a very big thank you to everybody who is listening. Obviously, Thanksgiving time, we, uh, we reflect on the things that we are thankful for and I'm very thankful for Anybody and everybody who has uh, listened to me blab on about the NBA as we have done this podcast this season and in seasons past and any of the content that you take in that we have created, we are always very thankful for that and thankful if you support us over at vsin, vsin.com slash subscribe. Always got to get that in there. Uh, but we have a good episode on tap for you today. Um, not a lot in terms of what we kind of do with the rookie reports and whatnot, but I did want to take at a look at a couple of awards markets as they're starting to take shape. We do have some guys that are starting to find their stride as players and also some markets that are a little out of whack with some favorites that, frankly, should not be favorites. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but we always got to start, like we usually do, with some of the biggest stories in the NBA so far this week. Hardwood headlines. The first is, of course, injury-related. It always is, uh, sadly enough. But Damian Lillard out one to two weeks with a calf strain. This story comes down you know, about a day or two ago. He actually left the Trailblazers a loss to the Utah Jazz. It was Saturday. Um, tightness in the right calf. For those who don't remember, uh, he already missed five games this season with a strained calf. Lillard did tell the media that the injury wasn't as bad. Quote, last time was worse. When I first strained it, I knew right away. Reason I took myself out is so hopefully this time we can get ahead of it instead of me staying out there and putting myself in a worse position. Um, not great, I would say. Recurring injury right in the same area is never really good, especially if it's soft tissue. Lillard this season, pretty strong from a scoring and assist standpoint, 26.3.7 assists per game for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, but what I find really interesting is what Portland's going to look like, obviously, without Damian Lillard out there. I did take my shot in the uh, team total the other night against Milwaukee, and they had a, uh, <laughs> a uh, first half in which they shot well over 55% from the field. 
on a hot shooting half. And then in the third quarter looked much more like the team that I expected. I think they only scored 18 points in that third quarter against Milwaukee on Monday night, but damage was done in the first half and they go over their team total. But I, I think as we look at Portland going forward without Damian Lillard, it, it does have the statistical profile of a team that is going to be in a lot of low scoring affairs. I.e., the team totals may be playing them under according to cleaning the glass without Damian Lillard on the floor, uh, the offensive rating, which actually has gotten better. Of course, that was uh, behind that performance from Milwaukee or against Milwaukee, but an offensive rating of 108 flat, 108.9, actually we'll say, uh, effective field goal percentage of 52.4%, but 108.9 in today's NBA, it's a pretty below average offensive rating. Uh, in half-court situations without Damian Lillard, 93.4 points per 100 plays, and they're not a good transition team at all uh, without Lillard out there. An offensive rating of 102.7 in the possessions where Lillard is not on the floor. They only add 0.2 points per 100 possessions to their offensive rating. Um, that 102.7, by the way, uh, that it ranks in the fifth percentile of lineups uh, when it comes to offensive efficiency in transition. That's not good. Uh, you want to be <laughs> you want to be high in terms of a percentile, not low. And um, I, I think as we move forward, it is going to be pretty intriguing. They have Cleveland coming up in their next game a Cleveland team which has kind of fallen off a little defensively. And as we have – actually, I think we discussed this just the other night when we had Kelly on. Uh, Cleveland, of course, has their own defensive issues, at least when it comes to having some weak links out there on the floor, namely teams going after guys like Darius Garland consistently. But uh, this is going to be something to track in these next one to two weeks as Lillard's not going to be out there, is how effective this offense is going to be, where the market sets some of these team totals against uh, Milwaukee. It was a really low team total, but Milwaukee – uh, leads a league in defensive efficiency. Made sense, especially fully healthy, essentially, uh, that they were going to be able to hold them down and ultimately not the case after a hot shooting half. But tracking these team totals for Portland and how inefficient this offense is going to be moving forward, if that is going to be the case, is going to be on the list of things to monitor as we kind of go forward with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, with that, you know, look, there, there actually wasn't a lot of news coming out of the NBA, and that's kind of a good thing, right? Because generally we talk a lot uh, about injuries and whatnot. So I'm going to go to a couple of headlines. Um, that I think have some bigger topics to build on here. The first of which Kyrie Irving returns from suspension over the weekend against the Memphis Grizzlies. It was a, it was kind of a boring appearance from Kyrie Irving under 20 points the, the Brooklyn Nets though did beat up on a really shorthanded Memphis Grizzlies squad. John Morant didn't play. Obviously Desmond Bain still out. Jaron Jackson didn't play, uh, but Kyrie Irving in his return game, 16 points, or excuse me, that was John Contra. I was looking at the wrong column there. Uh, Kyrie Irving with 14 points. 5 of 12 from the floor, only 26 minutes, so not a full, you know, over 30 like a starter would, probably rolling it back a little bit slower. Uh, five rebounds, no assists for Kyrie, 2 of 5 from the floor, or excuse me, from three-point range. So a generally okay performance. What we're going to watch now as we move forward for Brooklyn is twofold. The first of just which is what Kyrie Irving adds to the Brooklyn Nets offensively. Uh, this has been a pretty average team so far this season in their offense, 113.4 points. For 100 possessions in non-garbage time, essentially being held together by Kevin Durant, who continues to perform at a really high level and arguably uh, an MVP level with his numbers, 30.4 points, 6.6 rebounds, 5.3 assists per game. Um, but also, and this is kind of the bigger topic that I wanted to talk about with Brooklyn, like, I don't want to say I want to get excited about the Brooklyn Nets, right? Because uh, anything is a powder keg when it comes to Brooklyn. It could explode at any second. Uh, given the personalities on this team and given what we know about them in terms of their fickle uh, approach to the dedication of the franchise that they are currently signed with. But having said that, Brooklyn in the month of November 
They are six and four straight up. Their net rating at this point right now in non-garbage time in the month of November plus 5.3. It is sixth best in the NBA. And while everybody is going to remember that performance against Sacramento in which the Brooklyn Nets uh, did cough up 153 points, um, they have the fifth best defensive rating in the NBA in the month of November. It does tie in nicely with uh, this team when it comes to the firing of Steve Nash, right, and uh, how that really works um, from the standpoint of Jacques Vaughn making them better, which I believe is absolutely the case. But they've been doing this without Kyrie Irving. And so now all of a sudden, if what we've seen from them defensively is somewhat real, again, I always want to temper expectations when it's like fifth best defense in the NBA. Are they the fifth best defense in the NBA? No, probably not. But are they a better defensive version as they start to get used to playing with one another? As uh, guys like Royce O'Neal and Ben Simmons, we're going to talk about in a second, um, start to get a little bit more comfortable in the system. I think they are potentially better than what we expected them to be. at the start of the season and especially coming out of a performance like that against the Sacramento Kings. And also from a standpoint of covering numbers, right? Being an undervalued squad to this point in November, as I mentioned, six and four, they're also seven and three ATS in the month of November. And at one point, for those who don't remember, they uh, covered five consecutive games. They've been playing some pretty good basketball. So I, I think this is a really interesting spot for Brooklyn. And I, and I think there's a lot of, tentacles that kind of spread out from this from a betting standpoint one it's Brooklyn as a team just to kind of consistently back here until the market uh, maybe catches up cleaning the glass has a a nifty little metric when it comes to uh, the spread differential you know essentially how teams are failing to or covering by uh, from a per game standpoint and for the season uh, Brooklyn right now they're only 19th negative 1.3 or I should put it a different way failing to cover on average by 1.3 points per game but over the last two weeks if you look at it They have actually been covering at a relatively solid clip and covering uh, by about 3.7 points per game. This has been a little bit better for the Brooklyn Nets in almost every single way that you look at it. And I do think that this might be something to monitor as we kind of move forward in the big picture. And for the month of November itself, uh, as I mentioned, 7-3 against the spread, covering by an average of four points per game. So I, 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 I don't want to get too excited about it, given the volatility of the Brooklyn Nets. But this thing seems to be heading in the right direction, and they're starting to become whole again. And if Kyrie Irving, for lack of a better term, because I, I never want to, uh, you know, uh, say a guy should be just be quiet. Uh, but in Kyrie Irving's instance, it might be the case. Um, if Kyrie Irving just can kind of, you know, lock it up, play basketball, which is a big ask <laughs> for Kyrie Irving at this point, I, I dare I say that this team might start to kind of look like a top four seed in the Eastern Conference when all is said and done, and. Here's the other part about this. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about Ben Simmons. The other part about this is very quietly, Ben Simmons is actually playing kind of good basketball. Against the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, he had 35 minutes played, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. If you look at his last three games, quietly Simmons has looked like himself. I mentioned the 22, 8, and 5 against Memphis. What about the 15, 13, and 7? That's points, rebounds, and assists against the Portland Trailblazers. And then 11, 5, and 3 against the Sacramento Kings. He only played 20 minutes in that game uh, due to foul issues and whatnot. Um, but if you look at it, actually, you know, I think it was an injury issue that kept him out. Excuse me. But, but if you look at Simmons and kind of playing a little bit better, his fouls per game are down. He averaged 4.3 fouls per game in October. That's down to 3.3 fouls per game in November. Um, he, in October 
did not have a single game in which he committed. He only had one game, excuse me, where he committed uh, few, fewer than four fouls. He actually had a game in which he performed and actually did not get called for a single foul. That was the Sacramento game in which he only played 20 minutes. But you're starting to see the minutes elongate here for Ben Simmons. The scoring is up for Simmons. The rebounds and assists are up for Simmons as well. I wonder if this is the start of the turnaround here for him. And, you know, we react so much to everything, right? And you look at the month of November and you're like, oh, 6.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, 7.3 assists. This guy's terrible. He didn't play basketball for over a year. He had back surgery in the offseason. It does take some time to kind of get your body back into this thing. And when you watch him with your eyes, especially defensively, he's starting to look a lot more fluid on that end of the floor. So I did in the the game today against the Philadelphia 76ers, I did go over on his points, rebounds, and assist prop. Uh, It was 21.5. It's up to 22.5 right now for the most part. And by the time you listen, this doesn't matter. But it's just the whole point of betting on Ben Simmons' success here as maybe, just maybe, we're starting to see some legitimate turnaround from here. And just for the Brooklyn Nets in general, man, I'm really tempted to start to kind of buy into this team, just given the fact that everything is starting to come together for them. And Jacques Vaughn early on seems to be pressing all the right buttons. And Kevin Durant clearly uh, is still bought in as, from a basketball standpoint and at least playing at a really high level. And if this starts to come together, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, are going to be a really, really dangerous team and have already kind of proven to be at this point right now from a cover standpoint. So, Uh, I know we've kind of brought up Brooklyn a couple of times here, I think, in the last couple of episodes, but it's been very much worth it, especially since they're covering numbers at a relatively high clip. But um, they got potential, as we all know. It's just whether or not they're going to put it together. And so far, they are starting to kind of put it together. Now, the other team that I wanted to bring up, and Brooklyn kind of goes hand-in-hand with this team in the sense that they're starting to become a little bit more whole, but the month of November has started to really turn things around for them. Uh, That would be my team, the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, The Clippers, um, dare we say, are starting to look like the team that we kind of expected them to be, and um, they are starting to really round into form. So in the month of November for the Los Angeles Clippers so far, uh, right now, from a net rating standpoint, fifth best in the NBA, plus 5.8 points, or outscoring opponents by 5.8 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. They have the fourth best defense in the NBA, 107.1 per 100 possessions in the month of November, if I stress that enough. Uh, For the season, the Clippers are the second best defensive team in the NBA, and they're gaining ground on the Milwaukee Bucks, and they have a good distance between them and Cleveland. Uh, Right now, Los Angeles 107.5 in terms of their season-long defensive rating, 105.8 for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the big news was, as we discussed with Kelly, right, that was one of the things, it was a short topic that we brought up in the last episode, was it was just, hey, real quick, uh, worth mentioning, Ka- Kawhi Leonard's coming back tonight. We'll see what his production is going to be like, uh, but at least he is back. And he's been playing for the Los Angeles Clippers. And that is a really big deal here for LA, as again, their offense has been their biggest weakness. And it's not like Kawhi Leonard's coming out and blowing the world away. Against Utah the other night, he had eight points on four of 11 shooting, but of the five starters, only two were in the plus in terms of plus minus. Reggie Jackson, who was plus four, and Kawhi Leonard, who was plus 12. Uh, he had the fourth best, Kawhi Leonard did, plus minus of any of the players that hit the floor for the Los Angeles Clippers against the Utah Jazz. And um, the rest of them were bench guys. And we'll get into that bench because that's a really big thing with the development here of the Clippers as they move forward. But that's been a pretty big deal here, man. Uh, this Clippers team now, as I guess, kind of starting to become whole. It's funny. You can never have everything because the second that Kawhi Leonard comes back, Paul George is now missing uh, with was initially listed as a knee and then called a quad and then eventually called. I think it's a calf or a hamstring. I think it's a hamstring officially for Paul George. 
So that's something to monitor uh, as George is a little dinged up. But if this is real, because the one thing that has been consistent for the Los Angeles Clippers so far this season has been this defense, and they're slowly starting to climb the board in terms of their offense. Uh, right now for the season, they are 28th in terms of overall offensive efficiency, 108.1 points per 100 possessions and non-garbage time minutes. But again, filtering this in for November, uh, a month in which has gone very well for them, they're up to 14th, 112.9 points per 100 possessions offensively in non-garbage time minutes. If that's real, and then you start to see Kawhi Leonard start to turn these things around uh, from an offensive standpoint, just from an availability standpoint, well, now all of a sudden you look around the Western Conference and I do think that this Los Angeles Clippers team is finally going to start to emerge as a squad we expected. We're up to fourth. They're up to fourth right now uh, in the West. And they're only a half game behind the Utah Jazz, who are starting to show their own blemishes, especially on defense. The Jazz are and they're two and four in their last six games and starting to slip up a little bit here. But I think when you look at L.A. and the makeup of the Western Conference overall, I mean, really evaluate the Western Conference. You have the Phoenix Suns who are near the top. Chris Paul's been out of the lineup for a really long time, and uh, they deserve to be. I think it eventually will finish as a top seed in the Western Conference because they just continue to deliver, and they're a very good home team so far this year. Um, And when they get healthy, Cam Johnson and Chris Paul, the Suns are probably going to be, as the smoke settles, a top two or three seed in the Western Conference. I still believe the Jazz, who are 12-7 and on top of the West, are going to start to slip as they currently have, and their defense is among the worst. But then look at the rest. The Denver Nuggets, the Sacramento Kings, and the New Orleans Pelicans are the third, fifth, and sixth seeds, respectively. The Grizzlies are a lesser defensive team than they were a season ago. The Portland Trailblazers are, I think, again, starting to show their own warts, and they're covering numbers, but they're down to 10 and 7. The Mavericks, the Timberwolves, respectively at 9th and 10th, and you still have the Warriors are going to climb their way back in it at some point. And, like, that's it. This Western Conference it is deep in the sense that there are a lot of teams who are on a similar level with one another, but there is no real dominant force in the Western conference at this point right now. And as this team starts to shape up and they start to continue to deliver in terms of uh, spread numbers, right? Cause again, in the month of November, just to reiterate uh, the Clippers covering um, not by a lot, but still covering by 1.9 points for 100 possessions is, is uh, compared to their season long numbers, which are, somewhat poorer at this point right now for uh, uh, failing to cover it by 3.3 points per game. I think this is a team that is worth betting on. The market didn't really believe that against them, uh, against the Utah Jazz. Bet that number down pretty hard when Paul George wasn't available. Ended up closing like one in some spots in favor of them. But uh, this team is really starting to perform very well. And over their last seven games, they've covered numbers by 8.2 points per game. And I think that um, they're starting to become this team and arguably could be uh, in my power ratings, which have been pretty off this year, so I've got to tweak some stuff. Um, my power ratings, I got them as the fourth best team in the NBA right now. And I think they're, at least the recent results have shown that they are very much worth um, that much respect from a spread differential standpoint. So, uh, with that, so we, I tied those two together because I thought they were really like they fit really well together, right? Kyrie Irving and Paul George with the injuries and the fact that they're both kind of rounding into form. And I should. Before I forget, because this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up uh, for both of these teams from an award standpoint. Actually, no, you know what? I'll set I'll set it up for later. But I'll just say from an award standpoint, both the Brooklyn Nets and the uh, Los Angeles Clippers have some really interesting candidates uh, for the awards market that we're actually going to discuss a little bit later. So for right now, uh, let's take our break on the other side. We'll get into those awards markets. Uh, Most valuable player, because there is a long shot bomb that has started to gain some traction in the media, which is always a good sign when it comes to betting on this guy. Uh, Shout out Mitch Moss, who I believe has a a long shot ticket on him. Mitch loves those long shots. And uh, sixth man of the year 
This market, I think, is one of the more intriguing markets right now in the NBA because the two guys that are favored absolutely should not be at this point right now, which means there is some value to be had a little bit deeper on the board. And two guys specifically coming off of some pretty solid performances over the weekend and on Monday night uh, have some double digits next to their name that are very much worth investing in. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Back here on Howard Handicappers. So let's let's talk a little bit more about these awards uh, and, and two awards markets specifically to really dive into at this point right now. And yes, the first one is going to be most valuable player. And uh, it, it is a market that I've kind of tried to stay a little bit away from uh, in these episodes on Harvard Handicappers because most valuable player is an award that uh, is talked about ad nauseum throughout the NBA season. I don't want to sound gatekeepy, but I will for a second. I think part of the reason why uh, most valuable player is a market that is so talked about is one, it's popular. Right. It's the most valuable player and it's recognizable player names and whatnot. So uh, that always is something that people gravitate towards. And also, it's hard to just keep up with the NBA on a day to day basis. And one of the easier things to look at is just, hey, who are the leaders in points? And then let's talk about them for most valuable player. So I wanted to discuss this because I think at the top of the most valuable player market, we have obviously two very interesting names and names that initially you would think deserve to be up there. That would be Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic. And right now, these numbers courtesy of DraftKings, so we shop around for some of these numbers because they'll vary. But Giannis Antetokounmpo is plus 270. Luka Doncic is plus 280. I bring this up for a couple of different reasons. The first of which is uh, Zach Lowe just released a uh, podcast, and he's on with Kevin Pelton. And again, I, I want to stress, these, these podcasts, these things, they do matter. These are two, and again, it's two in a vast pool of voters. I totally understand it. But they are two voters. And you get a certain glimpse into what they are thinking when it comes to these awards. And so in the episode, Pelton and Lowe, they uh, ranked their top five so far uh, MVP candidates at this point of the season. It was five through one. Uh, For Pelton, Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't even make it on his ballot. And for Zach Lowe, he put him, I think, fifth, if I remember correctly, on his ballot. So Giannis, despite being a favorite, and a lot of this has to do with liability, as we know in these markets, but Giannis is the favorite of plus two seventies. We have two voters at this point right now who say one barely on the ballot, the other not on the ballot at all. And it does make a lot of sense. Giannis from an offensive standpoint this year, after a couple of big performances early on has fallen off a little bit in terms of his efficiency. If you look at points per 100 shot attempts and metrics tracked um, by cleaning the glass, this would, if this was his final metric right now, this would be his worst points per shot attempt. Um, metric 112.7 since his second year in the NBA 2014-2015. So far this year, 112.7 points per 100 shot attempts for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, His second year in the NBA, it was 112.1. Last year, to give you an idea, it was 126.9. The year before that, 127. So the efficiency by which Giannis Antetokounmpo has been performing uh, has been pretty down from a scoring standpoint. Uh, When he is on the floor, shockingly enough, their offense actually gets worse. It scores 1.8 points fewer per 100 possessions when he is out there. 
And from an efficiency differential standpoint, something I brought up when we were talking about De uh, Devin Booker to win the award. Oh, by the way, Devin Booker's down to 55 to 1. So uh, that's something worth uh, noting. If you did not get in on Devin Booker at all, if you don't have any interest, then don't. But wanted to point that out really quickly. Uh, but from an efficiency differential standpoint, Giannis right now, only improving his uh, team's net rating by 7.6 points per 100 possessions. Again, a metric that if he finished with it, uh, would be the worst since his fourth year in the NBA, 2016-2017. So while Giannis is performing very well and he, he's solid on the defensive end, and both of them agreed probably and should be, uh, and he is, uh, along with Brooke Lopez, one of two top options for Defensive Player of the Year, from an MVP standpoint, he hasn't necessarily been playing like that lately. And injuries are a part of this thing for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think in the grand scheme of things, the Bucks are probably going to be you know, just fine. And you want to wait until Chris Middleton and the other small forwards come back, and then we'll worry about it. But I think when they are full and complete, this is one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, but from an MVP standpoint, Giannis probably should not be the favorite. And from Luka Doncic's standpoint, Luka Doncic has been everything the Dallas Mavericks have needed because he's the only thing that they have at this point right now. Uh, efficiency differential standpoint, plus 8.9 uh, in terms of their offense. Their offense improves by 11.9 points per 100 possessions when Doncic is out there. It's absolutely tremendous. Um, the problem, I think, is twofold here. One, and this is coming from somebody, there's probably some um, slanted, maybe biased observations. I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are going to win enough games. They're only 9-7 and seven right now through 16 games. As somebody who bet them under their win total, I thought that coming into the season – their bench has been super, super poor. Uh, and that's, again, maybe a feather in the cap of Luka Doncic. But you do wonder if the Mavericks, let's say, like right now they're the ninth seed. What if they do finish ninth or eighth in the Western Conference? Even if Luka Doncic puts up these numbers, will that be enough for voters to still give him this award if he's participating in a play-in tournament? It might. But I do think that if we're talking about the pecking order, of guys to win this award, I would say right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo plus 270 is a little too short. And Luka Doncic, well, you could argue maybe he should be the favorite, is on some pretty thin ice with his overall team success, which, as we know, is a very big factor here when it comes to this award. So the reason why I wanted to kind of pay, like take down the cases of Giannis and Luka to start this was because I wanted to build up the fact that there is maybe value in other spots in this market, right? Uh, by bringing the two favorites down to earth here, I can show you that maybe there's some other spots to look when it comes to this respective award. And the first one that I think is really interesting, and I think should be the favorite to win this award right now, and I'll do it this way as you kind of listen to this. Uh, this player, 30.2 points per game, 7.6 rebounds per game. So he's sixth in scoring at 7.6 rebounds a game, 4.6 assists. In terms of his shooting numbers, 45.7% from the floor, 30, uh, excuse me, 47.3% from the floor, only shooting 35% from three, uh, and his team right now, currently first in his conference, that would be Jason Tatum. Uh, the Celtics are 13-4. and four. They are right now, from an offensive efficiency standpoint, uh, still among the best teams in the NBA. Actually, still the best. I thought they got surpassed by Sacramento, but not the case. Still for a, just, a, just ahead of the Kings. 119.2 points per 100 possessions for the Boston Celtics, 119 for the Sacramento Kings. If you look at it from an efficiency differential standpoint, Jason Tatum uh, and his worth to this team's net rating, not as impactful at all, uh, plus 0.3 or their offense or their net rating uh, improves by 0.3 points per 100 possessions uh, when he hits the floor. So from that standpoint, it hasn't really been worth that much, but I would argue 
That is very much because this team is so much deeper than the others that we're discussing here. And he also fits a very simple criteria. He is the best player on the best team. And the Boston Celtics are arguably the best team in the NBA right now. And yet, from an MVP standpoint, he is the third choice on the board. And it is, look, it is hard to invest at like plus 350 at this point of the season because anything can happen, right? Pelo Bancaro was minus 900 to win the award for rookie of the year. And now he's minus 550 because he has not played essentially since he became a $9 favorite to win the award. So I'm not really, I guess I'm not necessarily saying to invest in Tatum, but I really do think that Tatum should be the favorite here. And thus, I do think there is some inherent value in Tatum at a price of, uh, price of plus 350 or better. Now, the question is, do I want to invest at plus 350 at this point of the season, given the risk of injury? I would say probably not. But I also think, again, kind of presenting the case that Tatum probably should be the favorite here at plus 350, again, kind of adds to the case that there is value in this market in other places uh, other than the two favorites. So while I think Tatum very much deserves some love here, very interested to see what the market does as we kind of progress because he's kind of been stick to, stuck there, right, frozen at plus 350. But Tatum very much, I think, is an MVP candidate, but hasn't really been discussed as much uh, so far at this point of the season. And from a betting market standpoint, market hasn't really come around. And for some more evidence, too, by the way, um, that these teams or this market is pretty fluid and that there's some value, for example, if I were to say, hey, you know, who's got a better shot at winning an MVP award right now? Would it be Joel Embiid or, let's say, a Kevin Durant? I would say that it's Kevin Durant from a pure performance and availability standpoint. And yet Joel Embiid is 10 to 1. Kevin Durant is 18 to 1. And that ties into my next point here, which is if you're looking around at this market and, and bringing back our conversation about the Brooklyn Nets, I texted Mitch about this earlier, Mitch Moss, again, to give him another shout out. Why, why not Kevin Durant at odds of 20 to one or better for KD to win the most valuable player? Because if I didn't tell you it was Kevin Durant and I just said, hey, look, this guy right now is averaging about 30 points per game, uh, 30.4, 6.6 rebounds, 5.3 assists in terms of his shooting numbers right now among the best in the NBA, 53.1% from the floor at 19 attempts per game. He's only shooting 33% from three, um, and it's, by the way, in an extremely high volume. If he finished in terms of uh, his average, you know, in terms of uh, three-point shooting. Um, oh, excuse me. I was looking at my wrong column. I apologize. Eliminate that note at a high volume. It actually is a lesser volume of three-point shots that he's had uh, in the – in the uh, actually, since his uh, sophomore year here in the league. So disregard that point. Um, but regardless, 19.2 attempts per game, 53.1% shooting from the floor, 30 points per game is the best player on his team compared to Joel Embiid. And by the way, 17 games so far played this year, uh, 36.6 minutes per game. For an availability standpoint, he is way better than Joel Embiid. So I, I think from that standpoint, just from an odd standpoint, uh, the market I think is a little shy on Kevin Durant. But it comes back to the overall point with betting on Brooklyn Nets success. Do you plan on this thing keeping it together? And I'm not entirely sure. But I think from a statistical profile standpoint and from a narrative standpoint, right, Joel Embiid has been missing time. Again, he's out for two more games because of what's happening there. The Philadelphia 76ers have been a very disappointing team right now, ninth in the Eastern Conference, uh, eight and eight on the year. And that's not saying much for Brooklyn, who's eight and nine. But the one thing that Kevin Durant has going for him from a narrative standpoint 
is consistently being the best player on a team that has been falling apart off the court. And let's say Brooklyn, let's say Brooklyn's turnaround here that I keep discussing is legitimate. Well, part of that turnaround is going to be Kevin Durant continuing to do what he does. And what if we look up in two months and this team is fourth in the Eastern Conference? Kevin Durant's still averaging nearly 30 on 52% shooting from the floor. That's a really, really uh, legitimate case for Kevin Durant, kind of dragging this thing to the team through the muck and keeping them to the point where they could grab the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. So uh, I'm really interested, I think, in a Kevin Durant type. I do wonder if, like, 20 to 1 or better, I think we're at the point now, because if we're right about this turnaround being real for Brooklyn, that this price is only going to get shorter. It's not going to get longer. But I think Durant as an MVP candidate – is really intriguing right now, really intriguing. And also he was brought up on a low and Pelton's um, MVP candidacy podcast. So again, two NBA voters, uh, MVP voters, having that at the forefront of their thoughts. The other MVP candidate that I wanted to mention really quickly uh, from a just pure numbers standpoint here, um, this kid has been absolutely incredible. When I say kid, I'm sure that kind of gives it away. 31.1 points, it's fourth best in the NBA, 4.6 rebounds, six assists, uh, per game, Shea Gilders Alexander has been incredible. And from a value standpoint for his team, uh, you could make the argument that there is no more valuable player for his team than Shea Gilders Alexander. He improves their net rating by 10.2 points per 100 possessions. How about this offensive rating when he's on the floor, 115.3. When he is off the floor, 104.1. Their entire offense is Shea Gilders Alexander. He has been awesome, incredible. He's been a big reason why the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, you know, have been, again, a good cover team this season uh, from an ATS standpoint so far, 10 and 7 against the spread, 58.8%. Why they're kind of scuffling around for potentially a 10th seed in the Western Conference. Again, much like Luka Doncic, except at a stronger degree, are they going to win enough games for him to actually win this award? Probably not. And it was even a, a subject of Brian Windhorst's podcast the other day, Shea Gilders Alexander, early season MVP. But realistically, a team that more probable is uh, going to be on the outside looking in of the play-in race as opposed to even being in it, probably not going to win this award. But his odds have just plummeted. He was, I think, 300 to 1 at some point, now down to 55 to 1 to win the award. Uh, obviously, the ship has sailed, I think, uh, on that. And it's, it, it brings up a really interesting point very quickly, which is sometimes in these futures markets, right? Like, for example, Brooke Lopez uh, was 25 to 1 to win Defensive Player of the Year just the other day. And I was going to put some money on it. And I thought, you know what? Uh, like, he's been playing very well, but him and Giannis cannibalizing each other in terms of votes, not going to win it. And I, I don't really want to invest in that. I'm not sure if it's going to be a winner and the price is much smaller. But I wouldn't say no to anybody who wanted to invest in 25 to 1 because now he's the co favorite to win that award. So I, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, it's 300 to 1. Now it's 50 to 1. You can't bet it. It's more like I, I think it was 300 to 1 for a reason. And even if he keeps this up, it's more like he's going to win most improved player of the year uh, as opposed to winning most valuable player of the year. And right now, by the way, he is the minus 130 favorite to win the award, and rightfully so. Again, laying prices this early in the season is tricky. Uh, but that, I think, is a more realistic, and I'd say, uh, outcome for Shea Gilgis Alexander as opposed to what we have seen um, in the MVP market of the shift there. But Gilgis Alexander uh, really turning a lot of heads in terms of his play and definitely deserves it. So most valuable player from there, a very quick look at sixth man of the year, um, because I mentioned a couple of guys kind of rounding into form. And first and foremost, 
I want to say that this six man of the year uh, pool is wacky because I would say that again, as we talk about it, except to a much stronger degree, Russell Westbrook at even money to win this award is an absolute, I shouldn't say joke. Okay. Uh, but the reason why he's up there is because of liability. It is not because of play. And yes, you know, coming off of the bench, Russell Westbrook has been fine, but again, like look at his last two games, 10 points, four or nine from the floor in 22 minutes against San Antonio, 10 points, 30 minutes, 4 of 13 shooting against the Detroit Pistons. 14 points, 28 minutes on 4 of 15 shooting for the Brooklyn Nets. That's during this three-game win streak that the Lakers are on. That is not a guy, and yes, he had double-digit assists in those three games. He's had double-digit assists in the last four. That is not the statistical profile of a guy who's winning sixth man of the year, okay? He's just a big name on a popular team, and a lot of places are reporting him as their biggest liability in terms of winning the award. So. There's that. There's the fact that Jordan Poole, who is the second choice to win this award right now, and who a lot of people thought should have won it last year, um, Jordan Poole is not performing at the same level he was a season ago. He's shooting only 42% from the floor. He's shooting only 33.3% from three-point range. In terms of his overall efficiency so far this season, Jordan Poole and efficiency hasn't really been the biggest deal for six men of the year players, uh, but his efficiency is down from a season ago. When he hits the floor, he is a liability defensively. Uh, their defensive rating, the Golden State Warriors, uh, they allow 5.4 points more per 100 possessions when Poole is out there. Uh, their offensive rating plummets by 18.8 points per 100 possessions when he's out there. And yes, some of that is the non-Steph Curry stuff, but that's, uh, that was supposed to be Poole's thing, right? He was supposed to be uh, the mini baby step that was at least allowing them to keep afloat offensively. And that has not been the case with Poole out there. Offensive rating when he's on the floor, 106.1. Atrocious when he's out there. So I don't think Poole is the deserved second choice on this board at 3-1. to one. You could argue that Christian Wood at 7-1 to one is rightfully, uh, and maybe even arguably, uh, the favorite here, just given how reliant this Dallas Mavericks bench is, and I would buy into it. But I think there's two names to watch in this market right now. The first is Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon is finally healthy, it seems. And just yesterday, was it yesterday? Everything uh, melts together when it comes to time. Uh, yes, just yesterday against the Chicago Bulls, he comes off the bench uh, for Boston. Malcolm Brogdon does. Scores 23 points and 8 of 13 shooting, 5 of 6 from three-point range. Again, he was dealing with injury, so he's finally healthy. But Brogdon, if you guys remember, ESPN had an early seasons award thing that they pulled their writers on. And I don't think they were all necessarily uh, voters. Uh, but... Out of the six that they polled, five of them picked Malcolm Brogdon to win sixth man of the year. Nobody picked Russell Westbrook. Nobody picked Jordan Poole. Malcolm Brogdon is the one that cleaned up that award market, at least for those writers. Again, getting a sense of where the media is at. Brogdon can be found in the range of 16 to 20 to 1, and I think that is very much worth investing in right now, especially now that he's healthy, he's back in the lineup, and his second game back from injury looked a lot more comfortable, and he is starting to kind of find his flow here. I think Brogdon in a weird and wacky market is totally worth it uh, when you're talking about the price there uh, at about 20, uh, 20-ish to 1, if you could find it. I think that would be the price worth investing in. And very quickly, again, as we talk about some of these guys kind of rounding into form a little bit, now that they are got either new roles or finding their old role, whatever it is, 56 points in his last two games, okay, I'm going to set it up like this, on a combined – 10, uh, let's see, 64.5%. I'm not going to do the math. 64.5% from the floor, 66.7% from three-point range. He is 8 of 12 from three-point range in those last two games. And, you know, 
he's getting a little bit better in terms of his role. He was starting to begin the season, which he should not have been. And now that he's regularly on the bench and the team's getting healthier, he's starting to thrive a little bit. But don't look now. Norm Powell is starting to find his footing, man. Powell had 30 points just the other night against Utah, 10 of 15 from the floor, 3 of 4 from three-point range. He's 20 of 35, 31, excuse me, in his last two games, 56 points, as I mentioned. Norm Powell's finally starting to get that groove. And he started the first, I want to say, five games or so of the season. But now he's regularly coming off of the bench, as he should be. And it wasn't even like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I wasn't worried that he wasn't going to be eligible for the award. It was more like, look, like sometimes when you're a bench guy, you get used to the role. And when you're thrust into the starting lineup and you're playing more minutes than you likely expected or you're getting out of the lineup, it's not something that you really thought you were going to be doing. And now that he's kind of getting into this flow and now that they're starting to get healthy and Kawhi Leonard's not coming off the bench, the rotations aren't all messed up, he's starting to get comfy, man. And I would very much start looking at Norm Powell if you, like I have, I think it's 30 or 35 to 1 to win the award. Uh, Powell right now, because of the slow start, is back down to 65 to 1 to win this award. I would very much be circling Norm Powell at this point right now in this market for six man of the year if you haven't already. Like I am, I'm already invested in him. But I think Powell and Brogdon are two really viable candidates in a market that I think is completely out of whack when it comes to who is favored and who should be favored. So, all right, we'll, uh, we'll cut it here. I want to mention again, a little bit later in the week, we're not going to have a uh, Thanksgiving episode or a late week episode. So a happy Thanksgiving one more time to anybody who is listening at this point right now. So we'll be back at this time uh, next week in the normal settings too. And finally, I've been traveling quite a bit. So I've been like on the road, I'm out in, out in San Juan Capistrano right now and out in California. So I'll be done with traveling uh, next week. So You'll get at least get to hear me from a normal standpoint, at least when it comes to uh, how I sound. Um, and I'll be very excited to get back to a normal setting when it comes to recording, too. But I want to, again, say very much thank you to everybody who listens and likes and rates and reviews and subscribes. Uh, it is very much appreciated. Uh, I don't think we really do say it enough in our industry, as they say. Uh, but anybody who clicks on the links and listens to the pod, I could not do what I do for a living without you. So I very much appreciate all that. And Stephen, who I know is listening, uh, who has been helping out with the podcast this year as well. A very big thank you to him as uh, there's been a lot of moving parts of the scheduling and he has been awesome throughout this entire time. So uh, like, rate, review, subscribe, hit up vcin.com slash JVT for all of the write-ups. And we will talk to you next week here on Hardwood Handicappers. Happy Thanksgiving.